side joint Ooh, cold side joint Good day, Amarin, and everybody out in Coldside Joinland. It is here in this recording moment, nigh unto New Year's Eve. So we are, I assume, making plans to be better people the day after tomorrow. Is that is that where you're at, Amarin? Oh yeah, I'm gonna totally overhaul my entire life if possible. It's gonna be awesome. It's I'm really excited. It's over for all you bitches, as the beeps would say. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, had, I was thinking <laughs> of that exact meme last night when at midnight I suddenly started watching uh, House Hunters International. Yes, the <laughs> only, I was like, it can <laughs> only be watched at midnight or later. Listeners, let me know if you disagree. Please go on. <laughs> well, that said, I was like, once I get done watching this entire series, <laughs> over for you, hoes. <laughs> I, I'm literally obsessed with that series. And also something that's important to me is that I love the show Pose. Um, and one of the actresses from Pose is on House Hunters International. Oh. You watch, and her and her partner seem to have an interesting dynamic. I found it so spicy, so juicy. It can't House Hunters International is the gift that keeps on giving, but only after midnight. You heard it here first. <laughs> That's really true. I was like, I should go to bed. House Hunters International. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dilemma. First things first. Guys, I wanted to just uh, also just a little little information. Amarin and I were having this discussion before we hopped on here. And I was saying that I've stopped dating anybody because I just literally can't be bothered to do even the most like basic like things to allow a date at my house. Uh, but then we decided Amarin was saying that men should pull their weight more and then maybe they'd get invited over for dates more. And then we realized <laughs> if they brought like some sort of an offering over to leave on the stove for me all to myself, uh, post them, you know, swinging by and leaving, uh, that might work out better. Amarin, what did we come to? What's my offering? Uh, a rotisserie chicken and a cake. Thank we'll you. Do. I, th- I I offered a, a smattering of flowers also. Uh, yeah, it's nice. I think but it should be, but it's but that's more. It's not a deal breaker. Aesthetic. It's not the deal breaker. Yeah. The chicken, the cake, the double C combo. That's what we're looking for on the stove, <laughs> in and out. That's what we yeah. need. But that's... I do like how you called it an offering once we started recording because that does feel more appropriate. Yeah. Men, if you're listening, make offerings to the women in your life. Hear me out. We're not it asking works. much. It's I'm not asking for a lot. Just worship me. Understand. And offerings aren't for you to share the dinner no. later. Go get your own rotisserie right. chicken. Buy two. Leave yours in the car. No, my most recent offering for my beloved partner was a giant box of goldfish just for me. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. Correct. Then he That'll sectioned the them out into tiny glass bowls. So I have separate individual snacking options when I feel that's oh an my offering. Gosh. And yes. well thought through. See, and that makes me feel in my divine feminine. There you go. Yeah. Wabam. Yeah. You have it. Goldfish. The key. Okay. Guys, you're Chicken. welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Literally or, I mean, all if, the listen, keys. if you're thinking about proposing, sneak into <laughs> her closet, stitch pockets into her clothes. She'll say yes. She will say yes. Straight up. Straight That's easy. Up. Straight up. That's I don't true. know why you guys haven't been doing that. Maybe you have, and I don't know. Is there a Maybe you've been on that revolution? game. Maybe yeah. you've been Maybe on I'm that behind game. The curve. I don't know. I, I, don't mean to alarm you, Jesse, but I've noticed that we do seem to have some of the more in tune listeners of the male yeah. variety. So it's we possible. We do. We, yeah, we, we've, get, we've gotten pretty lucky uh, in our male demographic, and I'm not just trying to butter you guys up. So maybe you guys are doing that stuff, and we're happy to hear it uh, if you are. But there really just can't ever be enough uh, spreading of the good news. Yeah. Make an offering yeah. to the women in your life. Thank you. You're welcome. That's today's yeah. show. That should be your well, new resolution. I think our work's done here, Amarin. We I think we've done it, here? you know. Colt, yeah. we're going to join. Okay. Colt of women. We love them. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Women with uh, pockets and chickens. <laughs> chickens and pockets. That's all I need. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think I think we're set. No, not really. Right. I'm really excited for another surprise group. Oh, today, I'm so excited not... to give it to you. I know. And it's not only that, and maybe you're about to say this. I hope I'm not stealing your thunder, but it no, is our good. last surprise group mm. of season three of Colts I Join. Mm-hmm. And because it is our last episode of season three, I've saved you a New Year's gift for my yes. dear friend, Amarin. This no, is this haven't. one's my gift to you. You're going to like it. I literally can't wait this is I'm super so excited. exciting it's one i know okay. i guess then or maybe it's just a special one you know i love 
I'm going to say two words and I think you're going to know it. And I think it's going to bring you joy. Who is it? Do I even have to say them? Do you already know who I'm talking about? I don't. Not yet. There's too many that I could love. I won't Mm -hmm. lie. Okay. Okay. All right. You ready? Yes, I'm ready. I wish you guys could see her, her face. Okay, here we go. Spiritual midwifery. All right. That was the laugh, so you guys don't have to see my face. Um, I am overjoyed. We're talking about, well, let me just walk them through in case they don't know. Spiritual Midwifery, of course, a book written by everyone's beloved Ina Mae Gaskin. So the group we'll be talking about today has to be Tennessee's The Farm. Yes! Yay! I just got goosebumps. They're so Yay! great. Yay! The best news ever. Um, it's Midwife City, ladies and gentlemen. Buckle in. Let's go. We're riding in a fun, women-focused car. We are. Now, I will say midwifery is a is uh, the farm is famous for many things. The farm. One of the things it's famous for massively is its midwifery program. Um, I would say it's preeminent in the world. Yes. Yes. Um, Yeah. Uh, Ani DeFranco wrote a book with Ina Mae Gaskin. Like the, the coolness just never stops with these people. She really didn't just revolutionize the world of midwifery, but brought it more into the common world, um, made advances, made a life study of the practice, made new techniques that work um, just by really being there and recording what she was doing and finding consistent results. Like, yeah, pretty amazing. Um, Did you, I'm going to assume you grew up with the book Spiritual Midwifery in your house? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I grew up with Ina May's Guide to Childbirth, Spiritual Midwifery, The Guide to Breastfeeding. Um, I believe mm-hmm. there's Birth Matters uh, in her repertoire. Um, but no, I grew up with the full Ina May Gaskin collection. Um, I don't want to misspeak, but I'm fairly certain my mom has been to the farm. She certainly has at least ask. a midwife who trained at the farm and under her both. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a cool thing. Um, but I want to say that she's definitely met this woman but i i don't want to i don't want to name drop too too early on um but i'm this, gonna name drop all over the place so you go right ahead good. well i don't i don't want to do it for her it's just not my okay. reputation <laughs> and, and, and my childhood was so combined with her professional life if that makes sense sometimes yeah. the haziness of childhood innocence can make it confusing for her professionally sure. so i try not to speak sure. to her that being said, super freaking familiar with Ina Mae Gaskin. Um, definitely very pro Ina in our house. Um, and uh, very familiar with the literature that has come from her. Um, we're big on not practicing fear in birth, which is something that Ina mm, Mae is huge on. The hero and of. Needs to be huge on. It's a very important message in this country. You do not be, need to be afraid of birth. I know that you and I have literally talked about that mm. on the podcast before. So mm-hmm. viewers, listeners should not be alarmed <laughs> to hear this. But yes, you know, so um, they aren't just about midwifery, as you mentioned. Well, they're not. And I will get to the story of the farm, but but I don't have a lot of the midwifery stuff in here because I figured, why bother? We both are going to ramble on and on about it. Um, so, so, so tell me this. Can you describe the book Spiritual Midwifery? Because, okay, every single person that gets pregnant, I go out and spend $30 and get them a, a copy of Spiritual Midwifery immediately. It's like yes. my biggest money loser, but I can't help myself. And I'm so baffled that people didn't grow up. I soaked in the pictures in spiritual midwifery alone are worth buying the book. It's so yes. fucking beautiful. It's, oh, but, but I was going to ask you to describe it. So can you tell the listeners what it is? Yes. Or what it's I, like? Tell them about the book. Yeah. So spiritual midwifery is, um, ugh, I feel, I don't even know how to adequately deliver the message of the book succinctly, but basically it's, it is like providing information. It's an informative piece of, of literature that's letting practitioners of birth basically um, know about the process of midwifery in general, right? Um, and that is sort of where it's based. But the entire thing is from this very holistic, warm place of like pro-woman empowered positivity basically it's very um 
well, it's it's spiritual midwifery, right? So it's got a very spiritual underlying core to it throughout, even though mm. it's talking about these technical pieces. Um, and it's very, whereas some things are very clinical, this is not mm-hmm. clinical. Yeah. This is this is woman focused, woman first, um, and oriented around this positive and powerful happening basically in a woman's life, I would say. Yeah. And it's, so the farm is the hippie commune of hippie communes. It's definitely like the old, most well-established, definitely most famous, certainly most documented, like the farm is a hippie, hippie, hippie commune. And these are hippie, hippie, hippie people, which means like, they're fucking beautiful. They have like all long skirts and long hair and beards and flowy everything. And they live this idyllic farmy life and they all live together and share everything. And so I'd say spiritual midwifery has no less than 200 photographs, probably more. It's it's heavily photographs of their beautiful lives and their beautiful actual births. You see very graphic pictures of like heads coming out and, you know, men holding their women while their baby is halfway out or they're like laboring, but they're really Mm -hmm. beautiful pictures. And um, the pictures were my favorite part because I read, you know, I just constantly poured through it growing up. And then half of the book is a hippie clinical you know it's it's how to stitch up a tear how to you know deal with an inverted nipple how to recognize baby cries but the other half is just birth stories and Mm -hmm. they're so cool and every birth story is just a page or two long so it's a very easy pick up and put down read and it's just birth story birth story birth story and they're crazy and they're funny and they're interesting and they're awesome and they also birth for the Amish around them so they have some great Amish stories as well so just really just so beautiful. It's really special. And it pretty quickly became, if we're not really going to talk about it, I will say a kind of a not like easily accepted, I wouldn't say, but definitely became recognized as sort of like a big midwifery thing. Yes. Big midwifery book after it came out, not super far in the future. It kind of recontextualized the way that we were talking and thinking in mass about birthing at home and kind of just like recontextualize the role that a hospital needed to play if any i think in yeah in a birth and and also was just normalizing the heck out of it and just like you're saying yes. the birth story is just saying like it's kind of like the we all poop book in a weird way um, yeah, yeah. which is like I a agree. silly children's book but it's kind of like that but on a, a deeper level where it was like we all give birth as women, right? Not technically, yeah. but all of us who birth give birth. And mm-hmm. we are in this select community. And here's a book for us, kind of, um, for yeah. practice, for everybody that's partaking in this sacred space, basically. And a book that sort of acknowledges the reverence of those things was really powerful because it was a bit unprecedented at the time, even though we hear mm-hmm. hippier stuff now. The advancement of the popularity of midwifery skyrocketed recently last 10 15 years definitely had a slower crawl for something that people have been doing for a very long time has had a yeah. pretty slow slow crawl to modern popularity i don't know what accent <laughs> came out of me trying to survive Tennessee. Here. you were yeah. being ah uh, yes i was drawn into the farm <laughs> emotionally and spiritually um, yeah no um yeah, it, it definitely was a ref- revolutionary book. Very, very well known in the world of people who know these things. Um, again, really beautiful, really a great read. Um, there's some writing in there from her husband as well, because he is, in fact, the group leader. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's great. I also grew up with, I don't know if you did, this was maybe even more central to my consciousness than spiritual midwifery was the farm cookbook. Did you have that in your house? Yes, I did have that in my house as well. <laughs> of course, the farm cookbook. I'm glad you brought that up. Super good. And the farm, we're probably going to get to this, but totally veggie based, totally vegetarian. No vegan. So vegan, totally, vegan, excuse vegan. me, totally yes. vegan. Um, mm-hmm. So strictest of the strict, which is something that we were constantly flirting with when I was growing up. But I, mm-hmm. I mentioned to you many times, am a predator, am a bead eater, unfortunately. <laughs> we were... Um, well, we, yeah, we had the farm cookbook as well. And, and I was obsessed with it and I was constantly trying to make every recipe in it. We also were always on the edge of veganism, but I think more like poverty based, but also like we were in a, a food co-op as many churchy hippies were. And so we would get bulk orders of rice pilaf with lentils, mm. which the hippies swore was the perfect protein. So 
Yes. <laughs> we just, at the farm, they eat soy everything. At our house, we ate rice pilaf every Thing. That's hilarious. I love that. I have a bone. We probably am getting ahead of myself and I promise I'll stop after this. But Go I have ahead. a bone to pick with the fact that they eat predominantly soy because soy jacks up my hormones. And as a as a yeah, feminine first place i'm like not obviously feminine first all the way through and we can probably get into that but as a place that practices and talks a lot about literally female hormones in the reproductive process it surprises me that they would be pushing soybeans so hard anyway because that just doesn't work for me because i i will literally go crazy if i eat too many soybeans because my hormones will take over my entire body and mutiny me too. And actually, I'm going to point that out at a spot in this. Uh, so we'll Ooh. get there. There's a there's a place that that struck me. So there's something that Ina May Gaskin says that strikes me so hard that I will get into the soy thing and how much estrogen is in it in a moment. Okay. But uh, yeah, but yeah, very true. They're heavily soy dependent. Although in the 70s, I don't think they had the awareness of that. I think they were like, it's protein and we're vegans. So everything's what working out. Say? Yeah. Um, also, they were super poor. So again, like soybeans, great answer. Um, I, okay, I'll say this last thing about the midwifery, because it's not again, it's not heavy in my report here. And then we'll get into the farm proper, because we're only talking about midwifery, which to Amarin and I is everything that matters. Everything that matters. But I'd say midwifery is a quarter of the story of the farm. Oh, yeah. Very um, kind of percentage piece here. Yeah. Um, now it is still really big. So the farm is sort of a midwifery mecca. So they they've delivered thousands of babies, thousands of babies by now. Um, they way back it. So my mom, here's my connection to the farm. My mom went to the farm to have me in 1977 when I was born. Very so cool. yes. Um, so for a long time, I thought my mom likes to be really misty and hazy about my uh, past and doesn't tell me really key things that would probably be helpful, like to my medical people, but whatever, it's cool. It's, I'm shrouded in mystery. So for years, I thought I was born at the farm, but it turns out she bailed at the last minute because she went there in January of 1977, which was when I was due December 76 and January of 77, mm-hmm. she went out there. Uh, so it was cold. And right. this is when the farm was uh, just setting up. And so uh, they just lived in these two giant army tents that were stitched together in the snow in January. And this is back when January was really cold, not because global warming hadn't <laughs> affected us as much yet. Right. Um, so and they didn't have hot running water. They just had uh. cold showers like in a rickety, you know. <laughs> like enclosure and my mom was like nine months pregnant and she was like yeah i'm not doing this so like she didn't she went home like two days before she gave birth which will be my forever disappointment um bummer but i will say i i was out at twin oaks you know as an adult still thinking that i had been born at the farm and other uh farm kids were out visiting twin oaks because commune people go visit each other mm-hmm. and uh I, they were like, yeah, we were all born at the farm. And I was like, I was born at the farm. And they were like, show us your belly button. And I did. And they were like, oh, yeah, that checks out. There it is. I guess all farm babies are innies. That's just most they people just know are. That. So it's not that telling. But I was going to say, they... I could have lied about that then because I also yeah. have an innie. But yeah. I hear. But that's I, how they, I you wouldn't be an Audi and, yes. and be born at the farm. That's they how they tie them. up their cords. So they know. That's hilarious. <laughs> that was pretty cute. Um, yeah. So very, all very interesting, cool stuff. Okay. Uh, but oh, which is to say, when my mom went there, they already had a famous, and this is when they're still living in buses and tents, and they already had a famous uh, midwifery program. Um, and so people at that time, they weren't teaching yet, but people could just come there and have their babies. And people went there in droves just mm-hmm. to have their babies, including my mom, um, which is why I grew up with the farm cookbook in my house, because she picked it up while she was there. Um, and yeah, and so uh, so that was happening just like hundreds of babies, then thousands of babies being born at the farm just to be born there. And that's still true. Like my good friend, Fairy, hi, Fairy. Um, she went to the farm to have her son, Dorian. Mm. She lived in a different commune, but went down. You can still go there and have your baby, which is the coolest. Um, Yeah, she had a a great experience down there. Um, But ultimately, uh, so they're birthing all these babies. And then because of their belief system, which we'll get into, they decided that actually they were going to become a haven for the babies themselves. And so Mm -hmm. because they were in a hippie scene and like people did too many drugs and people at the farm did not do drugs at all other than pot, which was 
a big part of their life. Um, but so a lot of people weren't going to be great parents. And so they developed a program where, um, and by program, I just mean like a loose rule that people were really excited about where you could go have your baby, leave your baby, mm-hmm. and then just like come back for it sometime, which literally could be like two weeks, two years, 10 years, um, no. Whenever or never. And so people did that also in droves. Um, there became a bit of an issue when people started to come back like seven years later and the farm was like, yeah, <laughs> this human lives here now. <laughs> like, can't this have has this been too now. long. You can't yep. just like, this person has a mom now. You can't just take them like. Absolutely. So <laughs> that became a little problematic. But the other thing that became problematic again, and again, we'll get into it is that uh, there was a point at which they became top heavy with children because mm-hmm. they were birthing so many and taking in so many that right. there was a point that the population was like 2000 people. And like more than half of that was children, which was Oof. unsustainable and in fact broke them as a commune. So we're not there. Here we go. I'm going to start at the beginning. Uh, we don't have to talk about the midwifery part now, but it, it is huge and the coolest thing ever. So you guys should all go read spiritual midwifery immediately. You I was going to bring my copy in and read the forward by Stephen Gaskin, but uh, I have apparently given it away again. So, Oh no. Well, that's I keep doing okay. that. That's all right. Uh, we'll I find know. you another one. You're a Thanks, very generous you book lender, but we're going to get you connected with this life <sighs> source. I love it. Okay. All right. So the farm, Ida Mae Gaskin, though she is the rock starist of rock stars, is not the most famous person at the farm. She is not the leader of the farm. That would be her husband, Stephen Gaskin. With a PH. With a PH. Stephen. Stephen. Okay. So we start, if we're talking about the farm, with Stephen Gaskin. Stephen, as he is always called, is the leader at 44. This is an article from back in the day. So at 44, he is older by a decade than most of his flock. His sandy colored hair is long and thinning on top. That actually was always true. Like it never all fell out. It was just always long and thinning on top. Um, Often he dons a beaded skull cap or some other kind of headgear. His socks never seem to match with his Fu Manchu and long gaunt limbs. He looks like he looks the part of the farm guru. Gaskin talks and the farm listens. Uh, He likes to lapse into hate Ashbury talk by saying things like, ain't that right, man? But he strews his speech with historical and literary anecdotes and he is engaging and articulate. Um, a Dave, oh, sorry, Denver native. He's from Denver and an ex-Marine. Gaskin took his master, took his master's degree in creative writing from San Francisco State University. Stephen Gaskin taught a class at an experimental college in San Francisco. Pause. Do you remember the name of the class, Amarin? It's okay if you don't. I don't. Not this one. Okay. Uh, it was called Monday Night Class. And, Monday Night um, Class. Oh, like yeah. Monday Night Football. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> I wonder which is first. I genuinely don't know because I... Um, well this is in the 70s right so Mm -hmm. uh monday night football started in uh the 70s too so i think that this would have been so it might in fact be a play on words maybe it is that would be fun that would be cute that would be funny we're gonna put a pen in it we see you steven maybe a cute little joke monday night class somebody somebody let us know if that's a thing anime is still around of course um yes yeah so it was called monday night class very famously titled that people would talk about monday night class everybody wanted to go to monday night class and there is now a book by stephen gaskin called monday night class um which is literally just transcripts from the class which i also own um (laughs) it's actually stamped uh, I'm looking at another book with the same stamp right now on my desk. Um, it's it's stamped East Wind Community Library because I used to sit in the building that the commune library was in and read my own books. And then I'd like get up and go like get a drink of water or something and come back. And my book would be stamped and correctly shelved because the librarian was like so fixated on her job. <laughs> so- That's amazing. My Sunday or my Monday night class, Stephen Gaskin book is stamped, but I didn't actually steal it. It was stolen and shelved from me. This was a wrongfully stamped book, ladies and gentlemen, wrongfully stamped. Hang on, Amber, I'm going to show you in real time. Hang on. I got to see it, friends. I got to see it. The proof is in the pudding. This is not my Monday night class. This is actually uh, another book from the church I grew up in. But do you see the Eastwind community stamp on it? Stamp on there. Mm, That's a. That's a. That's a handwritten book from my own cult. It definitely isn't from that commune, but 
Yeah. Stamped away. Everything stamped. Um, anyway, so Monday night class, very, very famous. Also, it's just transcripts from the class, but it also is a really good read. I really like Stephen Gaskin's uh, ramblings. He's very much like Wolf Zendik. Oh, um, Wolf. And I don't that's I'm being insulting to Stephen Gaskin because Stephen Gaskin. Uh, kinder, more organized, made a better yeah. product wrote better stuff. So I guess yeah. I should say Wolf Zendik is sort of like Stephen Gaskin, but they have the same kind of like guru-y, older hippie guy. All their followers are younger. I'm in a hippie scene kind of a vibe. Are they around I a found, similar time or am I wrong for that? I think they are. Because yeah. like this oh, is like hippie yes. heyday, is it not? Like they're they're yeah. like kind of cap- not capitalizing, but they're a product of their time, right? They're gurus, yes. if we can use that word, of their mm-hmm. hippie movement in the U.S. They're locked in. Yes. Yeah. But they're older than the hippies they're leading. They yes. both are. Yeah. They're both people with like educations and backgrounds um, right. who kind of come in to do this. Um, all right. So that's that's Stephen Gaskin. Um, worth reading all of the books from the farm. They're all great. Okay. Here mm-hmm. we go. Uh, so Gaskin taught a class at an experimental college in San Francisco. I am inserting that would be Monday night class. And soon 2000 people were crowding into parks and rock halls to hear his gospel. Eclectic monotheism blended with bits of Jean-Jacques Rousseau in hip clothing. Uh, And he says, this is very Stephen Gaskin. There's only one church and your membership button is your belly button. Deep down, I think all of us know that. Oh, Stephen Gaskin. (laughs) That's exactly his kind of thing. Big softy. Love I love him. him so much. I'll say this. Um, I wanted to read this, but I remember it from um, Spiritual Midwifery. In the very beginning of Spiritual Midwifery, the the intro is by Stephen, of course, because uh, he can't just let his wife have a book. <laughs> Unfortunately not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the intro is from him and he talks about people's souls. And this has always stuck with me because there are people who seem so full of their soul to me and people who seem so devoid of their soul to me. And that's always kind of baffled me about humanity. And Stephen's theory is this. He believes that we're all born with our soul, obviously, but as you come into your own being, as you, as you settle into your physical existence in this plane and your soul settles in with you, if you are born to people who don't make eye contact with you, hug you, communicate with you, talk to you, listen to you, your soul starts to tether away like on a kite string away from Mm. you because it doesn't want to be locked into a physical form without uh, authenticity and connection, right? That's why we're here. And so your, your soul just tethers farther and farther away from you all the way out into space, into the ether, the more you grow up and live in a world where you have no authentic connections. Right. And when you meet authentic connections, your soul will start to reel itself back into you um, yeah. so that you can eventually become embodied. But depending on how far out your soul got, it could take longer or shorter times. And um, he bases that belief on the many, many, many babies that were left with them who had been ignored by their sh- shitty parents. And the farm people had a specific practice where they would just stare at the baby for like days or weeks like eye contact eye contact eye contact and the baby would look away because it wasn't used to it and when the baby would finally look back and hold the eye contact it was like it was an embodied person again yep yep i think that's really cool i think it's really cool too and i don't I think it's not for nothing also in my personal life. Like I definitely think that there's a lot of validity to the way that we, I don't think we understand the way that interacting with other human beings matters to our lives Mm -hmm. on a like scientific level, because why would we, we don't study that. We don't prioritize studying things like that in like a mainstream way. I know there are people probably studying that, but they're not not big bucks. And it's interesting to me because like, I think it does really matter. And I think that as we see remote work rise, I'm one such remote worker, but I think as we see people getting a little bit more physically Mm -hmm. siloed, we're beginning to see how important it is to have that real intentional human connection for sustained periods of time. And like, I might literally need someone to come into my home, just lock eyes with me in the middle of the workday and just stare at me for a while straight up that may genuine. And like when I stop looking away, I'm a real person again. That feels true. (laughs) That feels true to me. I, I think there's something to it. But now I would argue that it's it's it could just as easily be in the st- a step in the right direction to get away from workplace because that's another place where you are around people all the time, but there could or could not be any authentic connection. Right. Um, yeah. And so you can certainly be isolated in a crowd very easily. So right. 
you know, perhaps you do your work away and that lets you be intentional about your real connection with people um, as right. opposed to like just people in an office that you aren't going to connect to because maybe they're not going to connect with you. So maybe they have shitty parents. So <laughs> sure. I don't know. that's a good point. So. All right. So here we are in San Francisco. Um, Stephen Gaskin is all has already definitely achieved guru status. He's got his thousands of followers around him already. And eventually people start to be like, hey, what are we going to do with like, we're all just in this class every Monday night. What are we, what are we doing? Like, we've got to put some practice to the things that we're believing. And so somebody tells Stephen Gaskin that land in Tennessee is $70 an acre. And he says, $70 an acre? For $70, you could buy a kilo of pot in San Francisco. And you thought that was a good deal. You can buy an acre of ground for that. So my God. the idea was born. Okay. <laughs> so that was it. They were like, let's get like, that's that's a good value. We're going out to Tennessee. We're going to start a commune. So that was that was the beginning of that. Do you know the famous way that the farm meandered its way to Tennessee? This is the school bus one, right? The big yes, yeah. Yes. They they migrated. That was in spiritual midwifery. Yes, it was. Yeah, this is yes. the San Fran school bus haul all the way over to Tennessee. Um, and yeah, notably eclectic, very hippie looking procession yes a long i would say a couple miles long procession of of school bus school bus school bus school bus school bus because everybody lived in their buses and they went they drove they meandered really because they were looking at properties as they went um but they were ultimately looking at tennessee um and so they just meandered through the country in this massive bus train uh, for a really long time. I didn't look yeah. up how long, but it was quite a while, um, quite a while, as you might imagine. And the reason that they got started with, with midwifery was, of course, because they were having babies on these buses on the way out there. And so you can look in spiritual midwifery or you can just look online and find many, many pictures of like, you know, just like 10 kids and eight moms lounging around in a bus is there, you know, because they've gutted all these buses, their living spaces. And so they're all just... The original schooly movement people, you know, like <laughs> this is like sure. a hot thing now to live in a school bus. These people were doing the darn thing way yeah. back in the seventies. Yes, a hundred percent. Although it's kind of funny because now when you go to communes that have been around this long, which a lot of them have, you always see a lot of like defunct buses out in the woods because this is exactly what people were doing in the seventies, and their buses are still there, which yes. is funny. Yes, <laughs> that is funny. I'm not going to places uh, they still live in them, but they're yes. rusted holes. I love the living. I'm not going to get ahead of myself, but the the farms, living environments, and situations are some of yes. my favorite aspects of them. So I'm, I'm yes. ahead of myself, but this is the beginning of a lot of good things for me because I love them living in the school buses and the whole yes. line here. And then it just keeps getting better for me. Okay, yeah, it is. It is the best. It is just the best. Okay, so they're on the bus train. They're going. People start having babies. I think anime must have known something about birth to begin with. Uh, but, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, but, uh, she certainly didn't know what she did by the end, I think, but thank goodness she knew enough to just like kind of get by for a moment. That was good. I suspect that she was asked to head up the birthing simply because she was married to the leader. So I'm glad that worked out. <laughs> yes. That um, she rose to the occasion. Certainly she's now like yeah. known as like one of the founders of American midwifery. So. <laughs> Well done. Yeah. I may. <laughs> so here's a story from her. So they were on the bus train and they are a spiritual community. Um, Stephen Gaskin is their spiritual leader. They do have a monotheistic spiritual set of beliefs. And so that is important. And they are uh, fairly Christiany about um, their uh, modesty. They're not modesty culture by any means, but they're also not not. <laughs> so yeah. they've yeah. got some interesting mix-ups between very hippie scenes and very Christian-y scenes. And one of their things was that people who have children are married, period. And mm-hmm. so um, one of the moms was getting ready to, was, was in transition, which is like, as you know, Amarin, like 10 centimeters dilated time to push. And the yeah. mom said, I will not push this baby out until I'm married. I'm not going to have a baby not married and I'm not married. So (laughs) Ina May says, my hair stood up when she said that. I left the school bus. It was 25 degrees below zero. I asked Stephen and he said, well, I know the vows. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The the dilated woman and reluctant man played bride and groom um, in place of till death do us 
part Stephen went with as long as we both shall live. The baby emerged soon afterward. Uh, the next day, Gaskin called a meeting and issued a decree. If you're sleeping together, you're engaged. If you're pregnant, you're married. There you Easy. go. That's the end yeah. of that. When, uh, six man, or seven man. men. Oh, six or seven men who had joined the caravan for free love split. <laughs> yeah. Well, you drove them right out of town. That's hilarious. When, that's yeah. Again, great, great cutting of the fat. Um, let's see. The, oh, so initially they also practiced uh, larger marriages than just two people. So the car- caravans, eight, four marriage couples seem to rank higher socially than the others in the hierarchy for to be married to three partners instead of only one demonstrated a level of buy-in that we mere single people or those who only had one spouse could not claim. Uh, Four marriages was a deep mystery. When I asked the Gaskins about the former setup, Stephen says, that was something that happened spontaneously when couples took acid acid with other couples. Then he adds, what part about being a hippie don't you understand? Okay. Yeah. I hear that. Fair enough. I think that should, I like that as a t-shirt standalone. Honestly, if we could, if there, if that's not copyrighted, I think that should be all over. I want it maybe tattooed. Not sure. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, ultimately when Steven and Ina got married, everybody decided they were monogamous and that's how, um, because Steven and Ina may were not married initially. She actually had a different husband initially. So Hmm. when they got married, uh, everybody else decided that they too would be monogamous. On March 19th, 1971, after the convoy had pushed through a Nebraska blizzard, Ina May herself gave birth. It was a boy, Christian, born two months premature. He died March 20th after 12 hours in his mother's arms. Mm -hmm. She says, I was filled with grief. Um, She wrote that in Spiritual Midwifery. At the same time, I was so relieved that if we had to lose a baby, it was mine and not somebody else's. Uh, She recalls men in uniform, police officers, state troopers getting involved, telling them they could not take the body with them baby was buried there in Nebraska with no service and the caravan rolled on. Mm-hmm. I knew I was having to learn things that would be good for me to know as a midwife, Ina May says. She does go back and visit the gravesite. Mm-hmm. Um, so they roll through, they find their land, they buy their land. It says Stephen led them through the first year when the whole experiment nearly went under, when they almost starved and froze, and when they came down in droves with boils and hepatitis. He led them when they overplanted their crops and the crops lay rotting in the sun. He led them when the mood in Tennessee backcountry turned nasty and a kid was beaten up and his head was shaved. Um, he was charged. Uh, marijuana is a major part of their religion. Um, and so he was uh, hit with marijuana charges uh, and taken to jail. And the farm people would visit him while he was in jail and bring him soy cheese pizza mm. and record him talking. Yeah. Um, but then so I wrote this. I like this line. So I cut it out of a magazine. It says, but a funny thing happened on the way to enlightenment. Gaskin's hippies learned the ancient virtues of hard work, good hygiene and crop rotation. Deep in the Tennessee woods, they formed a spiritual commune called The Farm, which has morphed over its 36 years into a high-tech eco-think tank. It's older than 36 now. That was a while ago. Um, I have a very brief little bit on the midwifery here. Ina May formed a midwife crew, which attended not only farm women, but expected mothers from the outside world. The midwives also began making house calls to the Amish. Since 1971, Ina May says... Farm midwives have attended some 2,500 births. This is a very old article. I'd be interested to know how many births they claim now. Hmm. Um, pictures in spiritual midwifery show wildly glowing faces. <laughs> because <laughs> Oh, because they always talked about orgasmic birth. I don't know if you remember that. I remember yes. my mom, um, you know, they call, so they have very different language and they really like words like pussy oh, and... Yeah. Like they really like really sexual descriptive words for reasons I've never really understood, but they use those a lot. Um, And so they, they really encourage things like um, nipple stimulation and making out while you're in labor because it dilates you faster and like opens you all up. They're very into like the very hippie ways of opening your body up. They're correct. They are scientifically correct. Um, True. But yeah. it's it's just a, a different approach than other people seem to be used to. Um, yeah. But so you see a whole lot of like people making out in full labor with no clothes on in spiritual midwifery, oh, yeah. which is why it's such a great book. Um, a lot of fun for the kids. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's see. Ina May's informal research has led her to conclude that roughly 20% of women attended by farm midwives have experienced orgasms while giving birth. 
I'll take it. I believe it. My mother was really frustrated with this. They say that uh, they call um, contractions rushes. So they're like, it's just a major rush of energy. So it's not pain. It's just an intense amount of energy that you need to recognize for what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my mom was like, okay, all right. Okay. I'm ready for these rushes. Let's do this. And my mom did have all home births. And, And then she was like, this is bullshit. These are contractions. Like, yeah, yeah. That seems so fair. I feel like it would just be overwhelmingly contraction and birth, ultimately. Yeah. <laughs> um, I tried to I tried to keep that word in my head when I was in labor as well, and I was like, "This is ridiculous and not helping me." <laughs> so- no, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, okay. In the communal days, farm women even allowed other women's babies to latch on. I've seen this in other communes too. Lots yeah. of women like cross nurse their babies. You know, if you're like taking antibiotics or, mm-hmm. you know, you're having a hard time getting your milk to come in, there's lots of reasons that you would need to let your baby continue to breastfeed mm-hmm. while you can't breastfeed them for a little while. So lots of, I've seen lots and lots of women pass around their babies for breastfeeding. Um, you know, they've done studies. I won't, stick to this long, but that um, your breasts will read the saliva of the baby attached to you and put out the things that that baby Mm -hmm. needs. And so, I mean, they've done studies on this. If you like have twins and put, keep one on one breast and one on the other breast, the two breasts will produce different kinds of milk to meet the needs of the, yeah. So boobs are pretty magical. Okay. So all that to say, farm women even allowed their other boobs women's babies to latch on. We shared, Ina May says, everybody's tits worked. We even had a man lactate, not because he wanted to, but because his girlfriend moved down the road with the baby. That's the sort of thing that can happen if you love the baby a lot and feel anxious about whether they're getting enough to eat. So that's why men have nipples. (laughs) Okay. That is the part where I was going to say that man's had a lot of soy. Yep. That's a, that's an overfed soy eater. I genuinely think that I, I I don't think any man could lactate no matter how desperately they wanted to. I genuinely think that man was so full of estrogen that he just could lactate. pumped up on estrogen. Yeah. I mean, it's Absolutely. just all estrogen all the time. They eat soy for everything. Go open the farm cookbook. TVP, texture vegetable protein, number one ingredient for everything. Soy. Soy. I mean. um, <laughs> all right. So here's a little description of the farm itself. All right. The farm was settled near Summertown, Tennessee on 1,750 acres of rolling hilltops in one of the poorest counties in rural Tennessee. It is 25 miles from the nearest hospital, 40 miles from the nearest interstate highway, and 75 miles from the nearest major city. It is also 35 miles from the birthplace of the Ku Klux Klan to give you an idea of the surroundings. Uh, the hippies slapped scrap wood additions into buses and vans, transforming them into stationary homes. They fashioned kerosene lamps out of glass jars. They captured rattlesnakes and, refusing to kill them, turned them over to wildlife management rangers. I wonder how many rattlesnakes they were constantly rolling up with. Seriously. They dug outhouses. They salvaged a junked water tower and put it up. There's a saying in Summertown, if you want to get rid of something, just call the farm. They'll come haul it away and live in it. Uh, perfect. How <laughs> I hitched- love for people to be. I know. It's great. They hitched horses to plows like their Amish neighbors and laid in crops. After feasting on watercress growing downstream from an outhouse, this is has happened to other people. Please be conscious of this, people. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people came down with hepatitis. Their eyes turned yellow. Their urine turned orange. Then came oh, the flu, staph no. infection, pneumonia, head lice, body lice, giardia, shigala. All of which I've seen at other communes I've stayed in. Every single one of these things. Water is a very serious thing, friends. And if you are outside, even just camping, even if you're not going full commune with with your activity and leisure time, you got to be really careful about the water area and what is upstream from it. It's vital. I feel like growing up in Missouri, we really learned this a lot because in the Ozarks, there are lots of uh, cow farms. And so you learn really quickly to check upstream before you do anything. In that's water. exactly right. No. Mm-hmm. And that's how people at communes I've been at got Giardia and Shigella. Oh yeah. You'll get real sick. It's not how they got the body lice, but that's another talk for, hey, another, time. for another day. <laughs> By they, I don't mean me. Um, <laughs> actually a friend of mine, uh, everybody on the farm got Giardia because they had to drink out of the Creek. They were boiling the water, but it wasn't enough because the power had gone out. Um, oh. And everybody got Giardia and it was horrible. And so no. she thought hers lasted a lot longer till she realized uh, everyone else had Giardia and she was pregnant. So, <gasps> so. <laughs> My goodness, the twists and turns. Shout out, Anne. 
Her daughter's beautiful. She's a grown up now. Um, on a budget of $1 per day and no grants, no food stamps, no welfare, the original settlers bought the land, erected the buildings, and became agriculturally, agriculturally self-sufficient within four years. Eventually, larger homes were constructed, each providing shelter for multiple families and single people, often with up to 40 people under one roof. Visitors were also housed in a two-story tent made by sewing two army tents together. That is where yes. my mom stayed. Oh, that's One where of I my stayed. favorites. Oh my gosh, that's where you stayed. I am a big fan of hearing this because i'm a big fan of the double decker army tent i thought about this a lot and i freaking love it i want my own two level army tent i never considered that i stayed in that tent but i did i'm jealous out out the wazoo honestly wow good me and the farm we go way back um why is it called the farm like this is my actually my favorite thing about the farm and i have been to the farm as an adult and this is still true of the way that they name things and i It just brought me like, it felt so peaceful and lovely. Why is it called the farm? Like many things on the farm, the original people who founded the community called it just what it was with little embellishment. That's it. Uh, Other examples of this Zen approach to naming things include farm road, first road, second road. That was actually, I knew that the farm was called the farm because they were just like, we just call things what it is, what they are. But there are, the farm is big enough and complex enough that it has roads with street signs and they really do say like farm road, first road, second road, third road. Perfect. It's like, I love it. Yes, Damn. it is the third road. That makes sense. We don't and have to call not? it Blossomberry Farm. Like, No, and I love it because it's simplistic. And it's also like if you're saying that you're like redoing it, like you're making a new blueprint, like you're living a counter life, for instance, to the status quo, then why do you need to reference the status quo in your with as much as i love like twin oaks and how they have their beautiful oh, I do uh, referential stuff but like yeah i also love the simplicity of saying we are our own thing we're our independent unit and so it is first street and second street because we don't care about if there's a first street or a second street in houston right because we're yeah here. this is our place yeah uh their book publishing company is called the book publishing company. Their Original. soy dairy is called the soy dairy. Oh. Their tempe lab is called the tempe lab. Okay. The farm school is called the farm school. Oh. The farm store is called the farm store. And the welcome center is called the welcome center. <laughs> the welcome center. Okay. I, I just one love of it. Those would just mix it up, you know, so I'd be No, really not at all. Not at all. <laughs> and just so you guys know, it's kind of beautiful. So like when you come into the farm, um, there's like a gate and then there's like a big field beyond the gate and right at the gate is the welcome center. And it's like a little brick house. I kind of wonder if it was original to the property. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a little brick house. Cause it doesn't look like any of their other buildings. It looks like a brick house, um, with a big wide porch and there's always people lounging around on it. And that's the welcome center. So that's like where you check in and they've got all the, li- it's like a little gift shop and stuff, you know, right. um, like little farm books and stuff. If the you're gift stopping shop. by. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and then farther in when you get, uh, so you go down this little dirt road and then the roads start branching off. If you go straight into the farm, um, there's an eco village part where like interns come and they're always making like cob houses and straw bell houses and like giving, you know, lessons on that. So they've got interns there that are learning and they're building eco village stuff. Um, right. And down that way is also like the Creek where everybody swims in the swimming hole. Um, if you were to, uh, back up a little. So you come in on the dirt road. There's the um, welcome center. Down that road is all those things. But in between them is sort of a main field area. And that's where the farm school is. It's where the big stage is for like, they have lots of live music shows and um, and everybody kind of hangs out there. That's kind of the main central gathering outdoor event space. Okay. Um, and then if you go left, you go to the farm store. Um, which is still, it's basically like a bodega, like it's mm. got the essentials and things like that. Um, and then uh, you can see Twin Oaks hammocks off in different places mm. and <laughs> East Twin peanut butter and all the kitchens because they trade with other communes for their stuff. And and then you get into residences and all, and there's a big dome, um, like a big steel dome structure for mm-hmm. a gathering place. So there's, it's just really beautiful out at the farm. So I just kind of told you what the farm looks like, which is pretty cool. And I really like how things are just named, but they're named. I never get tired of yes. that. It's a little bit about the work. daily life. Yeah, it really is. Um, as we mentioned, the farm community ate what they called a vegan diet. Um, the introduction of 1978 edition of the Farm Vegetarian Cookbook says, we are completely vegetarian. We eat no meat 
fish, poultry, eggs, or any kind of animal dairy products. Our diet is based on soybean, on the soybean, which we eat in many different forms, along with other legumes, grains, fruits, and vegetables. We grow our own food and recommend it whenever possible. Mm-hmm. Um, the book is described as the family cookbook and of the 1,100 residents living on the farm in Tennessee. Um, the rationale of the diet is stated thus. We are vegetarians because one third of the world is starving and at least half go hungry to bed every night. If everyone was vegetarian, there would be enough food to go around and no one would be hungry. Mm. Um, they're very vegany about their veganism. Um, it's, it's different today, but we'll get there. Uh, lunch was soy burgers on wheat rolls with green pepper relish and onion on the side. Big Macs for vegetarians. The women in their long skirts and plated hair would... We're tending the enormous gas stoves in the kitchen. The men were stroking the stoking the boiler in the basement. The children crept and crawled and scampered underfoot and sometimes tugged the long pigtails of the grown-ups. Nobody carried any money. You just picked up your household rations at the farm store. If you needed hmm. pocket cash for an errand to nearby Summertown, you applied for it and got it from the bank ladies. If you needed a vehicle for some group-approved purpose, you went to the motor pool and signed it out. Uh, one person said, we could be into disco, something wild and crazy. <laughs> this is the 70s, remember. Um, people always ask us what we do for fun here. No bars, no cocaine, no chasing foxes. I don't understand. It, they don't understand. It can be a turn on to live with other folks, to look into their eyes and let them know you care. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wholesome. The farm. It is. It really is. Um, the farm, most importantly, is a collective. Everything is free from food to clothing to medical care to housing. But as a collective, the farm takes control of the assets of anyone who joins, um, as it's frankly states in its literature. The backbone of the farm economy is still the construction crew, farm foods and the farm. Hey, friends, if you are loving Cold Side Join and want to help us share the fun, here are some actions you can take. Subscribe and share the show on any podcast platform. Rate and review us on Google. This keeps us visible and gives an angel its wings. Or at least that's what our guru says. Follow us at CultSideJoin on the .com, the Facebook, and the Insta, and then hit us there with all your comments, discussions, and questions. We really do love hearing what you think. Finally, a huge thank you to our co-creators. Editing and post-production is by DeverWeb, and the biggest thanks to the incomparable Miss Devin Spruill, our theme song creator and performer. You should go soak up her music right now. And that's it, y'all. Thanks for listening and happy culting.